Section 26 of Flowers of Freethought, First Series. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Flowers of Freethought by George William Foote. Section 26. The Lord of Lords. Written in August 1884. We are in the midst of a political crisis. The House of Lords opposes a reform unanimously voted by the House of Commons. Great demonstrations are being held all over the country to insist on the popular will being carried into effect, and there is a growing cry of, down with the Lords. A spectator from another planet might wonder at all the fuss. He might marvel how forty millions of people needed to stamp and gesticulate against a handful of obstructives. He might imagine that they had only to decree a thing and it would immediately be that all opposition to their sovereign will would melt away the moment they declared it. This traveler, however, would soon be undeceived. A little study would show him that the people are kept in check by faith and custom. He would learn that the nation is tied down like Gulliver was, by ligatures springing from its own head. Behind the king there is a king of kings. Behind the lords there is a lord of lords. Behind every earthly despotism there is a heavenly one. The rulers of mankind overawe the people by religious terrors. They keep a body of men in their pay, the black army of theology, whose business it is to frighten people from their rights by means of a ghost behind the curtain. Nobody has ever seen the bogey, but we are taught to believe in it from our infancy, and faith supplies the deficiencies of sight. Thus we are enslaved by our own consent. Our will is suborned against our interests. We wear no chains to remind us of our servitude, but our liberty is restrained by the subtle web of superstition, which is so fine as to be imperceptible except to keen and well-practiced eyes, and elastic enough to cheat us with a false sense of freedom. Yes, we must seek in religion the secret of all political tyranny and social injustice. Not only does history show us the bearing of religion on politics, we see it today wherever we cast our gaze. Party feeling is so embittered in France because the sharp line of division in politics corresponds with the sharp line of division in religion. On the one side there is free thought and republicanism, and on the other Catholicism and monarchy. Even in England, which at present knows less of the naked despotism of the Catholic Church than any other European country, we are gradually approximating to a similar state of things. Free thought is appearing upon the public stage, and will play its peculiar part as naturally as religion does. Those who fancy that theology and politics have no necessary relations, that you may operate in the one without affecting the other, and that they can and should be kept distinct, are grossly mistaken. Cardinal Newman has well shown how it is the nature of ideas to assimilate themselves whatever agrees with them, and to destroy whatever disagrees. When once an idea enters the human mind, it acts according to the necessary laws of thought. It changes to its own complexion all its mental surroundings, and through every mental and moral channel influences the world of practice outside. The real sovereigns of mankind, who sway its destinies with irresistible power, are not the czars, emperors, kings, and lords, nor even the statesmen who enact laws when public sentiment is ripe. They are the great thinkers who mold opinion, the discoverers and enunciators of truth. The men of genius who pour the leaven of their ideas and enthusiasm into the sluggish brain of humanity. Even in this crisis, it is easy to see how religion and free thought are at variance. The Liberal Party is not pledged to the abolition of the House of Lords, but the Radical Party is. Orthodox liberalism is Christian, only a little less so than Orthodox conservatism, 
but radicalism is largely skeptical. It would surprise the dullards of both parties to learn how great a portion of the working energy of radicalism is supplied by freethinkers. True, many of them are unavowed freethinkers, yet they are of our party although they do not wear our colors. But setting all these aside, I assert that radicalism would be immensely weakened by the withdrawal of declared freethinkers from its ranks. No one in the least acquainted with political organization would think of disputing this. Belief in God is the source and principle of all tyranny. This lies in the very nature of things. For what is God? All definitions of religion, from Johnson's down to that of the latest dictionary, agree on this one point, that it is concerned with man's relations to the unknown. Yes, God is the unknown, and theology is the science of ignorance. Earl Beaconsfield, in his impish way, once said that where our knowledge ends, our religion begins. A truer word was never spoken. Now the unknown is the terrible. We become fearful the moment we confront the incalculable. Go through the history of religions, consult the various accounts of savage and barbarous faiths at present extant, and you will find that the principle of terror, springing from the unknown, is the essential feature in which they all agree. This terror inevitably begets slavishness. We cannot be cowardly in this respect without its affecting our courage in others. The mental surf is a bodily surf, too, and spiritual fetters are the agencies of political thraldom. The man who worships a tyrant in heaven naturally submits his neck to the yoke of tyrants on earth. He who bows his intellect to a priest will yield his manhood to a king. Everywhere on earth we find the same ceremonies attending every form of dependence. The worshipper who now kneels in prayer to God, like the courtier who backs from the presence of the monarch, is performing an apology for the act of prostration which took place alike before the altar and the throne. In both cases it was the adoration of fear, the debasement of the weak before the seat of irresponsible power. Authority is still the principle of our most refined creeds. The majority of Christians believe in salvation by faith. And what is the god of that dogma but a capricious tyrant, who saves or damns according to his personal whim? The ministers of Protestantism, like the priests of Catholicism, recognize this practically in their efforts to regulate public education. They dare not trust to the effect of persuasion on the unprejudiced mind. They must bias the minds of children by means of dogmatic teaching. They bend the twig in order to warp the tree. Now God is the supreme principle of authority, as he is the essence of the unknown. He is thus the head, front, and symbol of terror and slavery, and as such must be assailed by every true soldier of progress. We shall never enfranchise the world without touching people's superstitions, and even if we abolish the house of lords, we shall still dwell in the house of bondage unless we abolish the lord of lords. For the evil principle will remain as a germ to develop into new forms of oppression. Free thought is the real savior. When we make a man a freethinker, we need not trouble greatly about his politics. He is sure to go right in the main. He may mistake here or falter there, but his tendency will always be sound. Thus it is that freethinkers always vote, work, and fight for the popular cause. They have discarded the principle of authority in the heavens above and on the earth beneath, and left it to the conservative party, to which all religionists belong precisely in proportion to the orthodoxy of their faith. Free thought goes to the root. It reaches the intellect and the conscience, and does not merely work at haphazard on the surface of our material interests and party struggles. It aims at the destruction of all tyranny and injustice by the sure methods of investigation and discussion, 
and the free play of mind on every subject. It loves truth and freedom. It turns away from the false and sterile ideas of the kingdom of God and faces the true and fruitful idea of the Republic of Man. End of section 26. Recording by Scarbo.